Welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. I'm your host tonight. I'm Jeremy. I'm one of the co-founders of the Infinite Rabbit Hole podcast. And with me today, I have my two co-hosts, the other half of the co-founding Infinite Rabbit Hole guides, things, dudes. Jake, what's going on, man? Nothing. Nothing's going on. I just got off work and now I'm here. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I I hope you're ready for a long one because I have 38 pages of notes. Well, I'm coming in with a already biased opinion that this is all fake, so you'll have to blow my mind. <laughs> I, I will. I will. And batting up cleanup, we have Jeff, who I know is pissed right now that he's going to be on this long ass episode because of me. I love you, Jeff, and welcome to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Well, I love you too, Jake, and I'm not pissed. I mean, Jake, Jeremy, I can't, I can't even Jake. see my, yeah, my brain. Is, the fuck, Listen, my brain is fried today, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to keep up with your 38 pages. He's gonna uh, dip out two I, hours I, in. I, He's not gonna finish. <laughs> yeah, if you catch me snoring, just <laughs> just call me or something. <laughs> <laughs> well. You know what, though? This is going to be a very interesting topic because, Jake, you're, you're right. There is some far-fetched stuff in here. Most of it, yeah. But, but <laughs> well, you all you heard was that thing I sent you, which was the interview with the, the main guy of this whole story. I'm uh, sure you're going to I'm sure you're going to dig. But as far as I'm concerned, it's like how much more could there be? Well, did they come back? Did they? Well, yeah, there's a lot okay. here, man. Right. There's a lot. There's 38 pages worth of notes of a lot. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. All right. But what makes it even better, though, is that I found somebody who actually sat down with the daughter of the main character in this. Oh. Knows her in person. Hmm. And can really shine a light on a lot of this stuff. She is a Fortean investigator and half of the On Wednesdays We Talk Weird podcast. I am very proud and excited to welcome Asher's to the infinite rabbit hole asher's welcome yeah, how are you thank you i know i'm super excited you guys are, are very fun um some very interesting views here so I'll, I'll be curious to hear everybody's take um i'm probably a little too close to the situation to um have any other surprising opinion but um you know yeah hi thank you thank you thanks for having me no thank you for coming on here because you're a lot more famous than we are <laughs> we're just dudes that like to talk about weird shit and you actually go out there and you investigate some of this really cool stuff. I do. So real quick, before we jump into the topic of the night, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and what you kind of have coming up in the near future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a 40 investigator full time. That means that I um, investigate all of the anomalous phenomena. Um, so I do cryptozoology, ufology, the paranormal. Um, things like that. Um, you know, I think that there is a hidden kind of puzzle piece to a lot of these phenomena, even though, of course, you know, I have my varying opinion on on specific topics. Um, but, you know, I think that when it comes to the, the world of fringe, um, there's definitely something that kind of ties it all in together. And so that's why I chose I chose to do all of it. Um, I got my start in it. Uh, I've always been into this stuff, first of all, I'll say that. But I didn't get into like this job <clears throat> until I was I was approached to do this documentary on the Mothman. And, um, you know, so I, I started that back in 2019. 
um, ended up quitting my day job. I had a really, a really nice day job that I quit and, uh, and went to go do this full time. I have no idea why. Um, but you know, whatever, we all make bad, you know, bad decisions. And, uh, so anyway, so I go out and, uh, you know, I go investigate these places, you know, I travel around talking to eyewitnesses and things like that. And, um, you know, obviously one of the people here, you know, involved with this situation is one of them. Um, but you know, and then in the meantime, nobody actually pays me to like go do that part of it. Like the actual, like cool fun part. So I have to make content. So as mentioned, um, I'm working on a Mothman documentary called sinking the Mothman. It's uh, one part of, of many, many parts of documentaries, um, plus a companion book to go with the, the documentaries because, um, you just can never get enough Mothman. Um, and then, you Back. know, I also have the on Wednesdays, we talk weird podcast where we don't miss a beat and you can find us every single Wednesday talking about everything. So hmm. I feel deceived here. I was thinking that we were just guesting a person like us. And she's so much better than us in every way. <laughs> no, listen, so, I started off just like you guys. You'll you'll be you'll be weird like me too when you grow up. I promise. Basically, what's <laughs> going to happen here is Jeremy's going to spit out these thirty-eight pages of notes, and I'm not going to listen to anything he has to say. I'm just going to wait for your response. <laughs> You're convincing me tonight, Ashers. So welcome. <laughs> you know what? That is exactly what my my job is: is to kind of bring you a little bit closer right. to thinking that this could be possible. So we'll see how it goes. Sweet. <laughs> and of course she's gonna be able to fill in the gaps that i missed because I, I probably have gaps and she's got firsthand knowledge i'm gonna, what i'm gonna tell you up front is that is that you jeremy probably have too much information um oh yeah absolutely it's facts yeah 100%. i mean you, you probably got stuff that like you know maybe somebody one time in a book was like this is relevant and it's absolutely not relevant Greg's at all and it's okay color was green right <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> so we'll see how it goes that's awesome so do you have anywhere where people listening to this can get in touch with you oh, or that's right. follow you on socials and stuff? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm assuming you guys have somewhere to post links. You know, I'll, I'll give you my, my master link, my link tree. Um, but I'm, I'm on, um, you can find me on Facebook under my, my God-given name, Ashley Hilt. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at It's Ashers. Also on Instagram at It's Ashers. Um, and you can find on Wednesdays we talk weird just anywhere it's the only thing that pops up when you google it so you know you, it'll be easy perfect i'm looking you up right now sure and then i'm going to invite you to oh yeah there you are right there <laughs> works at ufology that's me i, I worked there at ufology that's fantastic yeah. <laughs> and then so if uh anybody listening to this of course i'm going to invite her into the infinite rabbit hole group page on facebook so if she denies it then that's on her you can send your hate mail to Ashers. anyways <laughs> no <laughs> but before we get going i do just want to uh make a friendly reminder that we do have that group open now and we have a lot of really cool stuff going on everyone's posting pictures and uh really cool facts onto the group page and we're having a great conversation over there so please check it out go on to facebook.com uh, if you go to facebook.com forward slash infinite rabbit hole, that's going to take you to our actual page for the show. Make sure you look for the group. The group is where all of the conversation is going. And uh, if you didn't get to uh, join us, we actually did our first live meeting with some some of our fans. We just sat down one day and we're like, let's go live. And we did it. 
And uh, we had a really good time, a lot of really good conversations, nothing infinite rabbit hole worthy, just <laughs> like everyday stuff about like what we eat and, and, and crap like that. But uh, we had a great time and it was very nice to uh, talk to a lot of you. So anybody who actually jumped on and had a conversation with us, I just want to say thank you for doing that. And without further ado, the topic we're going to talk about tonight is none other than injured cold. Did you do a write up for this, like an intro? No, no, I spent so much time on this that I did not even get to do an intro. You're a real scumbag, but I'm ready. Before we dive into the actual story of Indrid Colt, let's go a little bit earlier than that. According to author John Keel, in 1965, there was a group of alien contactees in Mexico that claimed they were taken to a place the alien beings referred to as Ganymede. Three years later, in 1968, an even larger group of people from South America claimed to have been contacted by beings who said they came from a place that they also called Ganymede. The strangeness of these cases were not only that they both had people not only seeing UFOs, but they were claiming to have been contacted and transported to faraway places in space to visit another world that they called Ganymede. And they were countries away from each other and three years apart in the 1960s. And if you dive a little bit into the technology that was available in the late 60s, not only in Mexico and South America, but honestly the whole world, it would prove to be damn near impossible for these people to be in contact with each other to share their stories. In fact, these people's encounters wouldn't have been even available to Keel if it weren't for his background in journalism. And people wouldn't believe Keel if it weren't for his various ways of documenting and recording first-hand stories for contactees themselves. But why were people countries away sharing experiences about Jupiter's moon? Fact is, they weren't referring to Jupiter's moon. And that's not where the strangeness ends. Not by a long shot. Welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole. Okay, good. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this awesome song? <laughs> I was about to throw my computer through the window. Like, <laughs> I've been thinking about this for weeks. <laughs> that was good. Was it good? That was good. Yeah, that was good. Oh, I actually, I'm, I'm impressed. You really, you really do read Keel. That's wow. wow. Oh yeah, uh, I'm a reader. <laughs> no, good for you. Can, I'm very happy. We endorse that a lot on on the on Wednesdays. We talk weird show. So I'm proud of you for being able to read. Thank you. I don't know how to read. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of everybody that can read. If you can read, I, I love you. We're in love. Oh, we all get stickers. She doesn't like me. <laughs> you don't read? Yeah. No, nope, I don't know how. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I faked it all this all these years. Faked my way right in the military, not knowing how to read. Uh, I, hey, <laughs> I've heard some worked. stories. So <laughs> they're all true. All of them. Yep. <laughs> I believe it. All right, so let's dive into Woody's first contact. 
On the night of November 2nd, 1966, Woodrow, a.k.a. Woody, was driving down Interstate 77 from Marietta, Ohio, to his home in Mineral Wells, West Virginia. Woody was an appliance salesman who had just started his career in the field after going on strike the same year at his previous career working for Union Carbide, a chemical and polymer plant that employed a lot of people in the area. As he was approaching the intersection of I-77 and Route 47, Woody noticed a set of headlights in his rearview mirrors blink off, then on. Back then, this was a signal often used for wanting to pass someone. The car passed Woody, and after he noticed that another car was coming up fairly quickly behind him without their lights on. As what Woody refers to as the, quote-unquote, the ship, pulled up beside his car, he noticed that it was no vehicle he had ever seen before. The lightless ship pulled up in front of Woody's truck and turned sideways, blocking all lanes of the highway, and slowly came to a stop. Woody slowed down and pulled over onto the shoulder of the road before stopping his vehicle completely. During the entire time, Woody's truck and all the lights, radio, and gauges worked perfectly fine. According to Woody, the craft stood 45 to 60 feet long and resembled an old kerosene lamp sitting on its side. The center of the ship was large and tapered off as it extended left and right before it flared back up before the ends. The craft was dark gray, and even though there were absolutely no lights coming from the craft, it did glisten in the light rain, and the only sound he heard was a soft and steady flapping. Woody stopped roughly 8 to 10 feet away from the craft with his headlights illuminating its side. Very soon, after they had both stopped, a door on the ship had opened and a man exited the craft. After this man exited the ship, it rose into the air about 50 to 100 feet above the location, directly above where it stopped. Woody watched as this man walked directly in front of the headlights of his truck. By his best guesses, Woody described the man as being just shy of 6 feet tall, around 180 pounds, perfectly tanned skin, and black slick back hair. There was absolutely nothing off about this man except for that he walked out of a craft that just fell out of the sky. As the man stood in the light casted by the truck's headlights, Woody began hearing a voice in his head asking him to please roll down the window. Woody leaned across the front seat of the truck and rolled down the passenger side. But instead of walking to the passenger side, the man walked over to Woody's side and looked at Woody through the driver's side window and began mind-speaking to him, telling him to not be afraid. Followed up by asking, what was his name? Woody became very scared of the situation and he found himself and discovered that it was hard to speak to the man. Then as, then, as if the man could read his mind, his voice returned to Woody's head, stating that he could answer by thinking or by speaking, and that either way was just fine. Without Woody saying a word, the man replied, Nice to meet you, Mr. Derenberger. My name is Cold. Immediately after introducing himself, Cold asked Woody if he worked for a living. Woody responded by explaining that he was a salesman, and Cold responded by telling him that he was what's called a searcher, followed directly with telling Woody that he, quote, shouldn't be frightened, and that we wished him no harm and only happiness. Cold was sporting a large grin and stopped with his arms crossed and hands under his armpits. He continued the conversation by asking what the lights were in the distance. Mr. Derenberger responded by telling him that the lights were the city of Parkersburg. Cold followed it up by asking Woody if this was a place where most people lived. 
Moody responded by explaining that some people surely did live there, but that most people lived in the surrounding areas and that the city was mostly for business and entertainment. Now, Cold replied by explaining that where he's from, areas like that are called gatherings. The conversation then took a slightly different tone. Cold told Woody to look at him and stated, I am the same as you are. I sleep and breathe and bleed even as you do. Have no fear. We mean you no harm. Now, a little side note here. This whole conversation was being done non-verbally, and Woody stated that he could hear every word clearly as if he was being spoken to. Now to continue. Cold continued by asking Mr. Derenberger, why was he so frightened? My country is not nearly as powerful as yours. Cold ended the conversation by telling him to report this experience to the officials and that he would be back at a later date to confirm his story and that he would be back to meet him again. Without any sign from Cold, the craft lowered back down and the door opened back up and Woody was able to see another man inside the craft. The man closed the door after Cold had entered and slowly began to rise off the ground and by the time it was above the trees, Woody took off as quickly as he could. So that's the story of how Woody met Mr. Cold. What do you guys think? First thoughts. No, it's the best love story of all time. <laughs> what, what's the location of this again? Parker's, well, right outside of Parkersburg, West Virginia. Okay. Here he goes. Here he goes. Yep, Come on. I'll be back. What's around there, buddy? <laughs> so I noticed right away that it said that the vehicle or the craft didn't interfere with his vehicle's electronics, which seems to be a signature of every single UFO craft sort of experience is electronics yes. fail. So for yes. me, that's either a more realistic version or mm. it's so far out of it that it's more lends into it being made up. I'm happy you picked up on that. I'm actually surprised you didn't pick up on something else, too. But let's talk to Asher's real quick. What do you got, Asher's? Um, I guess I don't know how, how detailed you want me to answer this. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's – so, okay. I, I guess we didn't introduce how I'm related to this topic. Should we probably do that and maybe – Oh, yes. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, let's do that. Maybe that Sorry, way. I'm a terrible host. No, no, no. It's okay. It's fine. Um, so I, I'm actually very close with with Woodrow Derenberger's daughter, Tanya Derenberger. And, um, you know, Woody's dead now, but Tanya still continues to tell the story. And so, you know, I've met with Tanya, mm -hmm. I've talked with Tanya, um, you know, I've gotten kind of more of the inside story rather than just the books and whatever you might find, you know, elsewhere. Um, so, I mean, you know, from insight, uh, you know, I, um, I guess I'll mention this too. I, I went there, I was there standing there at the same spot mm -hmm. where, where, um, they met each other, Andrew and Woody. And, um, you know, of course, I went. Uh, was Mothman Festival weekend in 2021, um, so it's a lot different now. But um, I can imagine that during the 60s, you know, the area at the time was probably pretty desolate, and there, there wasn't a lot of uh, things around. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it because it is like, I mean, that's kind of West Virginia anyway. It's like a bunch of nothing, 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 and then like five buildings, and then a bunch of nothing again. <laughs> um, <Right>. But <laughs> you know, that's just the kind of the area. Um, but you know, this little area, it's got a little bit of a, you know, they have like a Dunkin' Donuts there. I know because we. 
that's where we met Tanya at the first time. And nice. um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, and it's like well right established. It's well established. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, I mean, it's all they got there. You know, they don't even have Walmart. They're going to cross the border over that uh, luxury. But anyway, so, you know, what? Uh, well established. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we went and I, I could definitely see how the area could be very, um, you know, because Woody doesn't really mention other people out on the road. Right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really talk about how if there was any other passing cars that could have potentially saw this. However, um, and and I'm surprised maybe this wasn't mentioned yet, but maybe you just haven't gotten there um a a group of guys in a truck actually claimed that there was this they saw the same ship they reported that separately they saw the same ship that was trying to stop them on the same stretch of road they didn't fall Mm -hmm. for it they they got the fuck out of there like nope um Hmm. so that's interesting i do get to that though just uh just let you know i do get there okay you want to talk okay talk about i'll I'll let you do your job um no 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 (laughs) please keep talking i just want to let you know yes she's like all right i'm out (laughs) you know what (laughs) No, it's okay. You told me to come on this show, asshole. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you know, like I said, I just don't know how much you want me to to really, you know, take off running and you, get into it, or you know what you, what do, you want me to do. No, but say whatever you want to say. I'll just repeat it. I think that you know, <laughs> making the point that yeah, there was no interference with the vehicle. Um, you know, I think I think that is important because you're right. That is something that happens a lot in these um on the road, uh, you know, UFO encounters. However, mm-hmm. um. You know, when you take into account the fact that there was a car that was attempted to stop previously and then it just kept going and they obviously didn't they didn't meet injured. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think kind of the point of it and, and you know, I think that the longevity of the of the relationship here kind of attests to that is that injured didn't want to stop anybody against their will i mean i think he wanted somebody that that would li- want to listen to him um mm-hmm. so i think that if he were to interfere didn't, with didn't with, blast his car with an emp <laughs> right <laughs> yeah exactly i need to talk to you <laughs> <laughs> maybe i mean i don't know um you know it could, it could be no i mean i mean i think that you know there was a there was a reason behind it i, I think that obviously the technology is there um but mm-hmm. he didn't really see the need and so he was going to wait until somebody was just kind of willingly on the road that night and that somebody happened to be Woody Derenberger so well the other side of it is if for me this is a really big if but if there is <laughs> uh extraterrestrials or interdimensionals or what have you um you'd have to assume that there isn't just one planet that has them that if they have the ability to to maneuver in technology it's similar to like the different countries on this planet the people look different. They have different forms of technology. Our cars that we make here in America, our, our original like muscle cars and stuff, aren't anything like the you know super fast crazy sport cars in like Japan. If I'm putting this in my head so it makes sense, why couldn't it be that a craft from one place to be different from a craft from another place? And also the fact that he looked like a person versus like a gray or a whatever or a jellyfish um maybe this is gonna play into jeremy's idea of interdimensionals that travel using uh what is it he thinks that they're like they're not beings they're vehicles or they are uh cyborgs drones. or drones or something like that yeah. make them look exactly like us and then he wouldn't need to speak be like and he could be saying he could be saying like you know we breathe like you we eat like you we sleep like you and all these different things it's not the body that's in front of you know this guy that's saying that it's the voice speaking through him into his mind right 
Yeah. So you're in for a ride, dude. I can't wait. I love <laughs> That's rides. All I gotta yeah, this is exciting. No, knowing what I know about it, this is exciting. I know. He just he's oh, he am, just stepped in a whole bunch of shit. I, I love it. Am I like on the on the right track? Yeah. I hate yeah, it. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. you no, you're gonna enjoy this then. Okay. I, I, I think this is gonna be fun. This is gonna be a lot of fun. What about you, Jeff? You still good, man? Yeah, I was doing a little bit of looking at the area and what's around. I couldn't find anything super crazy. There's a couple Coast Guard bases over there. There's a there, lot of corn in that area. You know, and... Coast Guard's not doing anything. <laughs> not that I know. Mm-hmm. Of There's well, lots of meth. I can tell you that. Oh, lots sure. and lots of meth. As far as, as, as I can see, fields of meth. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Fresno. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the story—that's a wrap. That's a, it. Was meh. <laughs> oh, all right. You guys ready? Yeah, ready. Let's move on. Let's talk about the police. <laughs> Deals of meth. <laughs> Gosh, very nice. All right, I'm trying to be serious here. Stop it. All right. <laughs> Woody arrived home and asked his wife Catherine to come into the kitchen to talk with him. When she got to the kitchen, she saw that her husband was very distraught and asked him if he had been in an accident that had killed someone. Woody assured her that that was not the case and began telling her what he had just witnessed. She was worried about the incident and recommended that Woody call the police. When Woody was on the phone with the police station, he became very upset and found it very hard to form the words he wanted in order to pass on his story. So Catherine took the phone and did her best to retell his story. When she was done, the officer asked her to hang up and that he would call her back momentarily. Ten minutes later, the phone rang. The officer asked Catherine if Woody was still upset and if he needed to go to the hospital. She replied that he was doing much better and that she didn't think he needed to see a doctor. The officer on the line told her that he wasn't crazy and that he shouldn't feel bad. They received two other calls about similar events that night on the same stretch of road. Let's dive into the very next day. The next day, Woody headed to work at around 8 o'clock, where he told the employer about his experience from the night prior. Of course, he didn't believe the story. Put a little note on this for later. At around 10 a.m., a producer from the WTAP-TV station in Parkersburg came into the shop and asked Woody if he would be willing to go public that night. Woody agreed to do it, and arrived at the TV station at 2.30 p.m. Waiting for Woody's arrival at the station was a representative from the Parkersburg newspaper, Sergeant Plum from the Parkersburg Police Station, Sergeant Van Vender of the West Virginia State Police, Air Force personnel, and many other people that Woody didn't know. Woody answered their questions until about 6 p.m. and would find out during his interview that many other people had reported something very similar and most had described the exact same strange craft as Woody did. These other reports were reported to city and state police as well as many other different radio and TV stations. One of these reports came in from a mom and her son and daughter who stopped their car to watch this craft. The police station believes that this encounter happened immediately after Woody's encounter and may have even been the ascent from the incident with Woody Derenberger that this family was watching. When the craft left the area, It was heading straight towards Parkersburg. 
Another man reported an incident where the craft was hovering over his car and shining a blinding white light over his entire vehicle on the same stretch road. Two truck drivers reported being stopped by a vehicle they described as being very similar to the one that stopped Woody's John Keel. These men did not want publicity and stayed anonymous. We will be talking about this encounter in deeper detail a little bit later on. After the interview, Woody headed home and arrived around 6.30 to a crowd of people in his yard. Some he knew, most he did not. They all wanted to hear Woody's story again, and some even came forward to him about their own encounters with the craft in the area. At 2.30 a.m., Woody asked everyone to leave since he had work the next morning. Hey everybody, bear with us while we take this quick break. Hey guys, I'm Ashers. And I'm Pat O. And every Wednesday we talk weird. It's a weekly podcast bringing you the latest in cryptozoology, ufology, conspiracies, the occult, and all the latest in 40 and news. Everything from the ooky to the spooky. It's like coast to coast AM for people who fuck. Search for On Wednesdays We Talk Weird anywhere you get podcasts. See you guys next Wednesday. All right, guys, let's talk. You know, again, you know, the, I guess the reason I'm here, um, I can tell that that story from the perspective of, of little Tanya at the time. Um, and, you know, when Tanya talks about it, she says, you know, she, she remembers her dad came home and he was just completely white as a ghost and just very shocked. And she said it was very much unlike him because he was always um, he, he wasn't he wasn't a very emotional guy. And, uh, you know, obviously this this shook him to the core. And so the kids were ushered off and, you know, go, go, go to bed or whatever. Um, but they all stayed up and kind of huddled around the door and listened to the story. And they thought it was pretty wild. Um, so then they, they had woken up the next day. And Tanya said they'd woken up to a house full of all these weird people. Um, she says that, you know, it, it was very interesting. And she says that um, now it could have just been the fact that she was a young child. Um, but she believes now as an adult. And I think she was like four or five when this had happened she was pretty young but she says she believes now as an adult that one of the people that or a couple of people that were there were actually um the men in black then again tanya's trying to write and sell books on the topic so who knows i mean could she be embellishing that part she could um but i i do find it interesting that that you know she had made that connection later on um because i i could believe it i also find it very interesting that there were people from um you know you missing you mentioned the um Air Force personnel came down from Bright Patterson Air Force Base, um, which, you know, if you and I'm sure I'm sure your listeners probably have a little bit of insight into it. Um, you know, that's where all the, you know, Project Blue Book and all that comes from. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that was definitely, um, you know, very topical at the time. Um, so uh, very interesting. I think that's a very interesting take on it. You said Wright Patterson and I felt Jeff's ears. Perk up. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, yeah, the whole Project Blue Book thing. I mean. I'm going to say it probably for the 500th time, but this seems like uh, some sort of operation to seed the seed, the alien thoughts into people's minds, you know, like make everybody think that there's UFOs and aliens. It's like a long con for the project blue beam situation, in my opinion so far. Very interesting. That's an interesting take. That's a very interesting take. I, I personally, I don't know if, if you want to use this or not. You can if you want to. Um, uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base is a place that I, uh, I investigate. <clears throat> I have three people that I talk to, um, two of which actively work there now. One's a contractor though, um, and so he comes in and out. One's actively on base. 
at all times. And then the uh, third one that I talked to is a dying man. And what's amazing is that, you know, it's a, it's a large base. I mean, bases typically are, right? You guys would know. Yeah, um, yep. You know, they're, they're usually really big places. These people don't know each other. And all of their stories correspond with one another. It's insane. And it's it's pretty wild. The one guy that I talked to, I can't. It's kind of it's kind of fucking weird. And like, I'm surprised I haven't like he hasn't murdered me. Um, but I have to like we have to go out in the middle of fucking nowhere with no cell phones for me to talk to him. Like he's not he's not about it. But like I said, he tells me some shit. So the man that's dying, um, you know, this this things that he says, um, you know, I found that as a happy accident. Um, but he was the first one I started interviewing. Um, and then I started interviewing contractor. And then I got a hold of this guy. And uh, it, it's it's pretty wild. Um, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm not going to share too much about it. I could tell you some shit off air that blow your mind, though. Please do. <laughs> I might. <laughs> <laughs> That's I don't want to get you in trouble, but sure. we have ears that love to hear this. Shit. Oh, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> They'll call us shills again. I, I'm, try- <laughs> I'm trying. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's hard. I'm like. You know, because the one guy, yeah. like I said, he's dying, and I'm like, well, do I share this afterwards? And we've all kind of, I've, I've talked to the man's family. I'm like, what do you guys want to do? You know, what do you, what do you want me to do with this information? It's really hard being a secret keeper, um, but uh, mm. very interesting stuff. So anyway, um, you know, I I thought that the Air Force connection was, you know, just extra. Mm, extra strange in this situation you know why were they so interested to hear the story um and again i I can't confirm that there were actually men in black or not there i don't know i was born in the 90s so i wasn't there um but (laughs) you know she does mention it and um you know i think that's important so absolutely so this agreement to do this interview at the tv station is that what you sent me and had me listen to Okay. Yep. I was wondering where that fit into anything, everything. Like, how long after the event did he do this TV interview? So literally the next day. Very fresh. Yeah. That's so good. just for anybody listening, uh, what Jake is talking about, a few days after this episode goes live, I'm gonna go ahead and post that to the Facebook group. That that link. It's mm-hmm. a YouTube page, uh, YouTube video. It's just a still scr- uh, still picture, but it's got the. Uh, interview because it was a radio interview um uh, it wasn't on the tv uh, correct me if i'm wrong no it wasn't it was yeah it was a it was audio only right okay um i just didn't want to sound stupid there because i didn't really well and i i believe it wasn't actually i mean he did talk to the media but i believe that that interview portion wasn't actually just for the media i think it was like a press conference that he had given yeah and so the media was there the police were there the air force i mean everybody was there listening to it right Right. Hmm. It was a big deal. It was a huge deal. And I think you're right. I uh, can't remember, but I believe I believe in his book, actually, he had said that he had done the the conversation with the group of of randoms. Right. The the police, the military, the yeah. the press and everything. And then he went on to the show. Um, but I don't think I've tried to find a recording, like an actual video recording, but no, there I mean, wasn't that, one. You're talking about. I mean, it was a, it was a mad. You know, I'll tell you that it was a madhouse. I mean, just instantly, yeah. everybody was there. Nobody knows who who was who, and that's. I mean, that's why I kind, you know, I kind of questioned the men in black thing a little bit because a uh, little four or five year old kid. I'm sure there were men there wearing black clothes. You know what I mean? But right. then again, if you're trying to hide some super secret agency, what better way to do it amongst the, the circus and the chaos of all these people kind of coming in and out of this area? Um, so, I mean, God, anybody could have been there, you know, and nobody would have known. Facts. I like absolutely. Facts. I like Jeff's approach because as we're talking about this, I'm, I can't help but think, you know, people that 
claim to see UFOs. I mean, shoot, I've seen a UFO. I've seen a bunch of UFOs living around military bases and stuff. I mean, I don't know what they are, right? I'm not going to say that they were, you know, extraterrestrial or whatever. Being around military bases, I can only assume that they're military technology most of the time. But the attention that this guy got from his experience, everybody and their mothers there to to do an investigation and a report versus nowadays where people say, hey, I saw a UFO and stuff. And sure, it gets like, you know, hits on YouTube, but there doesn't seem to be any like news stories, you know, all kinds of stuff. It, it's It's like, I like what Jeff was saying because it feels like the narrative was being established and now it's already established. Like there doesn't need to be any investigation to make sure people are believing it because people absolutely believe yeah, it's it. It's been normalized now over the decades. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm just like I'm kind of, you know, playing devil's advocate for both sides right now. I'm just like I was like, oh, I could see it one way, I could see it the other way. I'm kind of formulating my opinion and taking notes as you go, but I'm just like like I like how he said that and you know, thinking about this because I mean there was this one, right? And then there was the um <clears throat> The Kelly Greenman that got a huge amount of you know publicity and all kinds of people showed up for that one. Then there was, uh, there was the Rendlesham UFO incident. That one got quite a bit of attention and stuff. And those ones were all you know decades ago. And now, as it got it's as it's gotten more and more recent, the level of publicity that you get for these sorts of things, with the exception of the Facebook likes, the YouTube clicks, you know, all those sorts of things. It really isn't that big of a deal anymore. And even with like the Pentagon saying like, oh my gosh, yeah, we have no idea what these things are, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, whatever, you know, or they're telling the truth. Um, Still, it's just like, you know, if if Jeff was onto something as far as this being like a, a trial run for the idea that there's extraterrestrials or something else out there, it makes sense that they'd want to follow up and make sure that people were like buying into it and stuff. Versus now where it's already well, established, you know, and I'm just like, hmm, to f- interesting to fill to fill a hole real quick, <gasps> as you'll see later on. When I get a little bit deeper into the story, this was something where people were seeing shit in the sky like this mm-hmm. area, this northeastern corner of the Ohio Valley was just flooded with strange shit in the sky. Nice. And this was like everyone's seeing this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And this guy says that he finally made contact with something. Mm. Like, like there was this is the the what made this so popular is that this guy says that one of those damn things came down and talked to him. Mm. So that's why everyone was so excited. the The hype was real. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. <laughs> um, Asher's. Did I miss anything there? Does that sound about right to you? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, and, and I know you're going to get into it, um, but but when Woody met injured, it was 10 days before the Mothman sightings happened, about 40 yes. miles, and not even 40 nice. miles away. It was in that area. And so, I mean, you know, it, it's it's very topical. Um, you know, UFOs were, were hot at the time. I mean, that, mm-hmm. was, that was the trend, I guess. Um, you know, so, so I, I'd agree with that. You know, I think that the hype was generated. It was like a build. It just kind of continued to grow and snowball. And then, you know, not just that, the events, obviously, um, of kind of what was taking place and what was going on in this weird area of the world, um, mm-hmm. you know, were also ramping up. So, I mean, people were seeing the lights, seeing the lights, and then they're getting bored, and then the, the lights are getting closer to the ground. Now they've made contact. And
And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. Very exciting, especially when you have nothing to do except for meth in the 1960s in West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> and the, I mean, the cool thing about like Jeff's theory of, of this is that it doesn't take away anything from the people who experienced it. It's just that they were deceived right. and they didn't know it. They had their experience Absolutely. and it blew their freaking minds. And as far as they knew, I'm talking to an alien right now or someone right. who claims to be an alien right now telepathically, <laughs> you know, and that's their experience. But it's everything outside of that individual experience that they had that is all that extra crap you know so sure. just like mm-hmm. you know so it's yeah i, I mean I like it i'm digging it well, so far the best way to run a conspiracy right is to make sure that the people who are participating in it actually do believe in it and so mm-hmm. you know when you have people that um when you have to hire actors and things that's when it becomes kind of weird then you get a lot of people right. like secrets and things like that so if you're going if you're going to stage something um and i'm not saying that this is the idea that i necessarily subscribe to but if you're going to um then you know you getting genuine people genuine reactions Mm -hmm. um that that aren't going to tell all your secrets um would be the best way to go about doing that it's just odd to me that these types of events always happen in the middle of nowhere with like one or two people it's like they don't ever land in the middle of disney world or like in times square (laughs) at noon you know what i'm saying yeah we get into that too because people would see the wires they have to do it at night in the woods. It's a known thing, Jeff. Get with the program. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, idiot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I love you, Jeff. I love you too, bud. True love, man. The next day on the 4th of November, two days after his first contact with Mr. Cold, Woody was driving home from Pomeroy, Ohio with a friend. Driving south on Route 7, Woody began to feel a strange feeling in and around his head. He described it as a light tingling. Later on, the passenger of the vehicle also claims to have a strange feeling come over him as well. Woody claimed to know that Cold was attempting to contact him telepathically, which Woody reluctantly accepted by thinking a thought to Mr. Cold. Cold told Woody that he thought he should slow down and drive safer. His craft was hovering over his vehicle very high and that he was following him. This time, Woody claims that he is much more accepting of the situation and knew that this was sitting better with Cold. Cold continued his conversation with Woody by telling him that he comes from a planet known as Lanulos in a galaxy called Ganymede. Y'all heard that before. Put a plug there. Woody later would feel that this information was intended to be incorrect to keep Cold's planet safe. Moving on, Mr. Cold would continue to tell Woody that his planet was bigger than Earth, but it was practically the same. It had mountains, forests, streams, and oceans, and a lot of the same plants and animal life, with slight exceptions. He told of his wife, Kimmy, his two sons, and his newborn daughter, they named Kimulus after her mother. Their planet only had three seasons planting, harvesting, and cold, and the life expectancy of the people on their planet was between 125 to 175 Earth years. And just before Mr. Cold warned that he was ready to break contact and to expect a severe shock as contact was broken, he told Woody that his first name was Indrid. Just after that, their communications to each other were broken, but Woody never received the shock that Cold had warned about. 
Instead, he had a pain in his temples that quickly spread throughout his head. The only place Woody initially reported this incident to was directly to NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena in D.C. Go ahead, Jeff. So, something else I just wanted to say. Why do these things always happen around the number 7 or 77? There he is. I love him. Go ahead. Well, I'm just saying. Say things. 7 p.m., Interstate 77. Uh, and this, I don't think this, this isn't the one you're talking about. This is the, the first contact, I believe. Uh, sorry, I'm like looking things up as you're talking to me about this because I'm like digging into this because I'm going to figure this out right now. I'm going to shatter this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, just, I hope you weird. do. I hope at the end you you shatter it. Because there's a lot that you're going to have to shatter. No, he's going to do it now and destroy the episode. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm tracking with you. Keep going. Let's go. Let's ride. Well, hold on. Hold on. Asher's, Jake, um, anybody? I, I mean, yeah, I don't really have anything much to cool. say about it. Um, you know, you, I, I, I'm kind of, now that I'm understanding the flow of how this is going to go, I, I, anything that I have to say you're going to get into, which is, which is great. You're doing a great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. What's really good about what you're bringing to this is I think we're going to be able to cut these this episode a little shorter because I think I'm going to be able to skip the Tanya part. <laughs> <laughs> you're bringing a better perspective from Tanya than I'm able to do just by reading her book. Oh, good. And you're cool. literally saying, you know, the, more than what I have, too. Sure. But you're saying some of the stuff that I have. So right. um, I think that you're you're bringing a whole nother uh, aspect to this show. Oh, good. I'm glad Uh, to where it's not just me reading what I have scripted and you're bringing firsthand stuff. No, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll stop. Usually when I, when I do, when I agree to do interviews with people and I go on their show, you know, it's basically, I have to, I have, I have to start in baby steps and explain everything right from the beginning to the end um, Mm -hmm. because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And that's fine. So it, it is really a breath of fresh air to have somebody who actually is invested in it and did do their homework and not just like, you know, the, the basics. So, you know, yeah, like I said, you're doing a great job. Keep doing it. Yeah, like they say, here in the infinite rabbit hole, we go to page three on Google. That's right. Smart. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Jake, what do you got, man? So, Ganymede. Yep. Is Greek mythology. is a person who is abducted by Zeus and taken to Olympus. And I know that we name or did name a lot of our astrological bodies off of you know, Greek mythology and various forms of mythology and all those different things. I'm curious if Cold told him that that's what our galaxy is called based off of what we may have already been calling it, mm-hmm. or if he told him that and then later on it was discovered and then we said, well, that'll just be Ganymede then. If it's on the latter side, if it's like, it was already established that this is a galaxy called this. I'm curious if Cold said, yeah, we're in this sort of a galaxy, and then later on looking it up, they're like, oh, that's Ganymede. It's not like an unknown place is what I'm saying. It's not, right. you know, if it's already been discovered and the galaxy's been named, it's not an unknown place. So this would technically be a planet we could look up and using a more high-powered advanced telescope maybe on a satellite out in space right. which doesn't exist could see... Um, <laughs> could see this planet and stuff um, versus 
I don't really know how to explain what, where I'm going with this. So, so um, check it out, right? Yeah. I think that there is a slight mix-up in vocabulary between those from the planet Lanulos and those from Earth. So you, I've noticed a lot in some of the books that I've read for this is that uh, Cold refers to the, ga- the galaxy that he is in, and he does say that we share a galaxy. We're from the same galaxy because there is a particular time that I will get to where cold escorts another alien being or beings Mm -hmm. to the end of our galaxy and basically pushes them out of our galaxy for us. Um, And in that book, it's referred to as the Milky Way. But as you just heard me say, is that he's from a planet named Lanulos in the Ganymede galaxy. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe that the definition of galaxy in Lanulos really means solar system. Yeah, I I think it's a breakup of, of definitions. Like, you know, there's that you can't expect everything to be perfect. Like they're not going to know exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like gathering in cities. So they use the word galaxy to refer to solar system, but they know that we all live in the Milky Way galaxy because we call the galaxy uh, Milky Way. Mm -hmm. Right. But a galaxy is a collection of solar systems, like billions of solar systems all around. And a solar system is a collection of planets around a star. So I think that the definition for galaxy on Lanulos is solar system. I, I have a really interesting, you know, kind of an easier way to, to explain Earth. that. Um, our, <laughs> our planet, right? What's our planet called? Earth, right? Except it's not right. called Earth to other yep. people in different languages. Sometimes it's called Terra, you know? And, so, and, and there's so many different, there's like, there's like 50 different word, like words for Earth, right? And so, um, so of course, you know, if, if, if we, you know, had this big conference and had big alien contact and we were like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're all here from the planet, and then we would all hate each other and fight each other and disagree on what we would even call ourselves. Um, but we all mean our planet, you know. So I think, you know, yeah. so that's basically what you're trying to say is, and, you know, of course, us, you know, uh, dumb folk that speak, you know, English, we can't comprehend it being called anything besides Earth because it's Earth, right? And so that's where I think it comes from. It, it is a breakdown of just kind of words and um, you know, semantics yeah. in that in that regard. So you're so correct me if I'm wrong. You're saying either it's just name something entirely different, or this could possibly be like considering it. He would, I'm certain if it is an alien that they would have their own language. So this would be his second language, or however many places he's visited. You know, number of languages, and it could just be misspeak. Like when someone's learning, like if I were to learn Spanish, I would probably misspeak quite a bit in trying to formulate a sentence or yeah. whatever, or a thought. Yeah, it could be either of those, yeah. All right, I'm down. Now, there, <laughs> there was a part of this that I had to cut out, because this was originally almost 50 pages long, uh, and I cut out a lot of stuff. And one of, one of those extra pieces of information that Asher's was talking about earlier <laughs> that I probably had um, was that there was a theory that the Lanulogians actually perceived time faster than us. So uh, in a lot of the accounts of people in contact with somebody from Lanulos, 
they described them speaking very strangely, like as if they were trying to slow their words down, like they were they were used to speaking faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because, and we'll get into this part a little bit later, but I think that they perceive time differently. We would have to go, welcome to infinite rabbit hole, right? Mm-hmm. And they think that that's, that's what they were doing. So not only was it a, mi- a mix-up of, you know, not just learning a different language or learning a different uh, dialect, mm-hmm. but they actually had to change the way that they speak, too, in order to be able to uh, be understood by human beings. So there's a lot that they had to do in order to communicate with us properly. Or it could have just been that their language had more syllables than us. Probably. You know, yeah, more that, syllables, that, yeah. longer words <laughs> to get out the same sort of thought and stuff. You got to speak it quickly because otherwise you'll be there all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't worry, guys. This this is a very long topic, and it goes very deep. Hold on. We're hold only on, an hour on. in. I, I thought of something that I wanted to bring up, um, and then we got on this yeah, topic. Yeah, go for it. Um, so, I, you know, I wanted to, again— Tanya's perspective. I'll be her voice. Um, you know, yeah. Woodrow Derenberger was not a man that prior to to this incident was into like sci-fi. They didn't own a TV. Um, you know what I mean? Like they weren't, um, you know, mm. it's like he sat around mm. reading these, you know, super cool sci-fi books or anything like that. Um, he, he didn't have any type of interest in this type of topic until he had this incident. Um, now, of course, whether or not maybe he maybe they, they talked about it at work. I mean, he was a sewing machine salesman. So, you know how those people are really into sci fi stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, according to Tanya, you know, this wasn't he didn't have a history in this. You know, some people like in the um, the Betty and Barney Hill case, you know, they're saying that they were insp- it was it was inspired by what was it? The Outer Limits. They were saying they had similar, mm. you know, because that that ran on TV. And so they must have seen it. Um, and, and no, they had no idea what that was, um, you know, very similar to to. To Woody, I don't think they ever um, compared it to anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, he didn't really, I mean, he didn't have his hand in these type of things. So it didn't really make much sense for him to just kind of come up with all of these strange otherworldly themes because he really had no way of knowing. And again, when you're living in, you know, where he was, um, West Virginia, it's not like education is, is, is wildly abundant there. I mean, not saying he was a, he was a dumb man or anything, just the resources weren't there to begin with for any type of extensive cultural education at the time. And, and just because it's the sixties, it, it, that didn't really exist. Um, so I, you know, I think yeah. that that's also of note, um, you know, about the type of guy he was pre pre injured. So. And that is why I love this story. I hate to burst your bubble, but yeah. Sewing machine, sewing machine salesmen, huge sci-fi nerds, oh, like total well. Trekkies. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, maybe I, I can no, probably see it. That is a good thing to note. I'm going to write that down um, to kind of build my conclusion because that is a huge factor when it comes to this stuff. How involved were they prior to their incident in this sort of stuff? You know, would they be willing to make something up about this? You know, but in this circumstance, it seems like that would be a pretty heavily leaning no. So I thought you were saying that, like, the fact that he's a sewing machine salesman was the factor. And you're like, oh, that's huge. That just totally breaks open this (laughs) whole story. Huge. Yeah. (laughs) No, I know the truth. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what's his uh, propensity to to sci fi stuff? So not much. (laughs) 
The amount of attention that Woody and his family received after the radio interview was way more than he had anticipated. He received phone calls from all over the country, letters from all over the world, and people were showing up at his house at night to watch the skies. On most nights, 25 to 30 people would show up, and some of them would even knock on the door to personally ask questions and hear Woody's story. Woody worked mostly in the evening, so often his wife would be left alone with his children while strangers piled up outside and knocked on their door. One night, Woody arrived home late from work and noticed that there was an unusual amount of people parked by his house. His wife and him estimated at 150 individuals. It became obvious that this was too much when he noticed men in the trees with shotguns. Woody called the police to remove the people from his property, but as soon as the police left, most of them came back. The effects of all this attention began to find its way into the lives of his children, Charles, age 7, and Tanya, age 3. Charles was being bullied at school, and both children were having a very difficult time falling asleep due to all the noise outside at night. Both children suffered from nightmares on a nightly basis as well. Woody's sales began to drop drastically, and since he was a traveling salesperson living off of commissions from his sales, the attention began to affect the Derenbergers financially as well. Nobody was buying from Woody anymore. Everyone was familiar with his story, and most thought he was crazy. Those that did reach out to request a visit from him to discuss the sale of an appliance only did so to talk to him about the UFO and had absolutely no interest in actually buying anything. This resulted in his family having to move and sell most of their furniture. They moved into his wife's family's summer cabin and were able to find peace for about a month. But soon after that, the UFO craze found them again. Their new home was set on the banks of the Kanawha River, but soon after they moved there, there began a very large flap of UFO sightings along their section of the river. Someone then found out that the Derenbergers were living there and contacted the local press and the stories that came out claimed that the large rash of UFO activity was in fact due to Woody and his family's presence and that they were contacting him in private. The crowds began to form on their lawn again, and this forced them to move, this time to the dead center of Vienna, West Virginia, with the idea that hiding in plain sight might be the way to go. The craze followed them when a German TV crew showed up requesting them to be a part of their documentary that they were planning to film. This was too much for his wife, Catherine, as she left him with their children and moved to Cleveland, Ohio. Woody soon followed them to Cleveland, but it was too late, and they were divorced in 1970. Was there ever any thought for this man to write a book or anything like that where you know, I mean, he's losing money and people are constantly asking for his story. Like he could have just, I mean, even if it was like a pamphlet, he could have just written down his story and sold it. He you did. Know? It's called Visitors from Lanulos. It's where I got this information. <laughs> but like, like how soon afterwards, because he was hurting financially. So, I mean, like within that time period, it could have just been like, That's I should just write this down and sell it, you know? I don't, it wasn't. It, I I don't have the exact time frame, but I know it was roughly ten years. Yeah, after. it wasn't immediate it, at all. Yeah, it wasn't. Because that's unfortunate. I mean, look, you know, whatever we may say about the validity of the story, 
I mean, as far as like outside of his um, his experience, the fact that he's losing money and his family is hurting because of the uh, you know opinions of people that are outside of this experience, it's very unfortunate, you know. And hindsight's always twenty twenty as far as like, oh man, I could have capitalized on this and stuff like that. Um, but it's just like. I don't know. It's it's hard to hear that. It's like if if this ever happened to me, if I ever had experience like this, I would never tell people where I lived. <laughs> like, I just want yeah. the attention, you know. I mean, nowadays I live on base, you know. Go ahead and storm the gate. Go, I dare you. But it's just like, you know, I I don't, I wouldn't want that attention. You know, it'd just be it'd be awful, you know, and it would be it would be unsettling. You know, constantly having people following you around and stuff. Like you have no idea what what's the um intentions of these people you know yeah. it's T- just like Tanya said there was n- there, it was never there was never not anybody outside and not just like one or two people <sighs> but like groups of people they would hide out in like the bushes and things like that trying to catch catch a glimpse of of Indrid. and um you know it was she said it yeah. was just constant it was constant um you know rumors going around i mean the kids were being followed you know mm-hmm. everywhere they couldn't really leave the house without escorts and things like that anymore um it it was a lot it was a lot of attention um you know for and it wasn't just woody i mean it was a whole it was the whole family Mm -hmm. um you know so so when his wife you know went to go leave and this is the the part of the story where because i was always um i guess people might find this surprising but i was always a skeptic of the injured cold story um Mm -hmm. and until i started digging into it and um you know once i did and I realized that, you know, his wife divorced him. And when that happened, she maintained to the day that she died. Wasn't because Indrid wasn't real. As a matter of fact, he's very real. It's because she, she, she couldn't deal with the attention anymore that it was getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, if you're going to divorce, divorce your husband and you're going to try to distance yourself from that story, if it didn't actually happen, why not just then come out and finally say, listen, this didn't happen. Um, but yeah. she, you know, yeah. she never did. She said, Indrid's, um, you know, I've met him. He stays at her house sometimes. <laughs> you know, they were all very close. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's, they, she's helped take care of the kid. He, well, we'll get into that, but you know, he would bring his oh, kids yeah. and things. And I mean, the whole families would hang out together, but they didn't have anybody mm-hmm. else either. Um, you know, they really just had the, uh, you know, the cold family and, and then the Derenbergers. Um, But yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, I thought that that was, uh, that was probably one of the bigger pieces of evidence for me um you know when i started thinking okay Mm. maybe there's something there's something to this um was the fact that like i said she left she took the kids but until the day she died maintained that the story was real very interesting yeah and we do get into this we get a little bit into Catherine's um relationship with the lanulosians there's a reason why i chose this this is a i love this topic i think that this is probably to me this the entered cold story is one of the best evidence for any type of alien species ever and it is like the best kept secret because people it sounds so it sounds so fucking goofy and so fucking out there that it almost ha- i mean it has to be true i mean nobody makes this shit up nobody makes up a lifelong <laughs> you know a lifelong torture chamber of, of constant attention and like you see like you get you know losing money and losing your family and basically every single thing ever just to be like yeah i hang out with this alien dude like nobody fucking does that. There, right. there is one more. There's Bob Lazar, and his story sounds incredibly convincing. Constantly getting raided by the FBI and stuff. Like it's just like, oh, there's other really you know. good stories, but for me, this one's tops. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's 
definitely the attention factor around it is leads more into its believability versus like if it was just like yeah it was interviewed one time then that was it <laughs> you know well, i don't have a yeah. problem believing that these people had these experiences like we you guys have already said a couple times i think uh what i'm having a, a problem wrapping my head around is were they being duped you know was this some form of psychological operation or uh something like that you know so i of course, like I'm, I'm a crazy guy, right? I'm the conspiracy guy. So people come to me with crazy <laughs> stories and shit all the time. And, you know, I, especially on my show, like I take their word for it while I'm talking to them. Like, I believe whatever it is, crazy thing you're telling me, like, I'm just going to go with it as if you're telling me the truth. And that's kind of where I'm going with these, uh, these people and their experiences. But that still just kind of puts me in the spot where I'm thinking these people might've just been victims of some form of a psychological operation, whether it be from, you know, whatever, men in black, the deep state, whatever, take your pick of the organization. Now, I think that's a really fun take on it. I, I, I personally have never thought about it that way before. And uh, I'm curious to see, you know, to listen to more of what Jeff has to say as we continue along with the story. At the end of December in 1966, Woody was contacted by the former police chief of Parkersburg and current captain of the Cocoa Beach, Florida Police Department, Bruce Parsons. He was also working as a security guard for NASA and was told to reach out and invite Woody and his family to Florida so that Woody can tell his story directly to the head of NASA, a man only introduced to Woody as Charlie. Instead of, instead of a pleasant trip to Florida and thrilling tours of Cape Kennedy Base, he was instead interrogated for five days by many different people. Afterwards, he was told that there was nothing new in his stories and that everything he told of Lanulos, Mr. Cold, and the craft had already been reported numerous times. Woody asked why they never came forward with the information. In reply, they said that if they did so, there would be massive panic throughout the world. Many people would commit crimes or suicide. A quoted line from the book, Visitors from Lanulos, by Woody Derenberger himself, States, they said, quote, women would commit suicide. They'd throw their babies out of windows, jump under trains. This kind of panic could sweep the entire world, end quote. Additional interviews and investigations were conducted by SACI, Space Age Communications Incorporated, NICAP, and the Air Force. NICAP even went as far as to hire Dr. Robert A. Jenkins, a local psychiatrist, to administer an EEG test to test for epilepsy, which came back negative, with particular terminology such as, quote, no evidence of epilepsy. Normal recording, normal recording with no indication and central nervous system pathology at all, and no evidence of any psychiatric disorders. Nightcaps dropped even lower by telling Woody to not speak to anybody regarding these events unless they were a representative from Nightcap themselves. Woody responded by telling them that he will speak to anybody he wants to. In turn, the representative that interviewed Woody returned a report to Nightcap claiming that his stories were false and told events reminded him of a carnival. So what do you guys think about that? What was this Parsons guy's name again? Give me a second. Bruce Parsons. Uh, and he worked at... He was... 
He was the Florida, uh, Cocoa Beach, Florida Police Department. He was the captain there, and he also worked part time as a security head of security for NASA. So I wonder if he was related to either William or Bill Parsons, who was one of the directors of NASA, or Jack Parsons, the rocket engineer slash occultist. Well, I have no idea. That's a that's you. That's your wheelhouse, homie. Parsons Parsons <laughs> is also really it's a I mean it's kind of a big name in West Virginia. It's kind of a really popular one. Lots of uh streets uh you know and things like that uh named Parsons. Lots of people you run into with the last name Parsons. Yeah, it's a common name, but yeah. the, the fact that he was tied to NASA somehow and then like I said Bill Parsons was the director of NASA and then Jack mm-hmm. Parsons you know, like I said, he's a rocket engineer. Uh, you know, he's also like an occultist. There's a lot of connections with him and the Thelema, you know, Alistair Crowley's oh, yeah. thing. So that's some digging I got to do. I got to do some digging now. Thanks. Yeah. You, I like it. The, the wheels are turning. I'd, I'd like those <laughs> results. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in that one. Um, no, I think that's interesting. Do we talk more about the, uh, psychiatrist or is that uh we do okay. we do okay. we end up getting into that a little bit okay. more later oh on. wait <laughs> well it looks like he's not crazy so that's good not <laughs> not seeing anything i i have those actually I've, i have copies of those um of those reports tanya gave them to me i've got a real uh, i've got I, a lot of really cool stuff <laughs> i i actually have the uh the bigger version the the large print version of Visitors of Lanulus, yeah. which actually has the the copies of the reports in the back. I got to read them. They were yeah. freaking. They're really cool. I mean, they've got they've got proper headers and everything to them. And I mean, yeah, the the signatures and then the stuff like the uh, the question and answer segments from Nightcap. Oh yeah, like they had that's actually in the back of the book too. Like Nightcap was trying to fuck this guy oh yeah well the the politics were strong and, and let me let me just mention that isn't um you know that that isn't particularly unusual um because we see that now with mufon um right. they, they do exactly that with their with their eyewitnesses um you know basically it's just their witnesses aren't people they're cash cows and it's it's terrible um you know so that's not you know again I, i'm not surprised by that at all me neither um what do you guys think about cutting off the first episode right here whatever you want to do bud well, this is um, this is an hour and twelve minutes in. Uh, this is a very good break because we're going to actually get into the first time Indrid visits Woody's home. Yeah, we got to get into that juicy stuff so I can put that last time on Infant Rabbit Hole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Are we in greens? This is a good place to stop. Yeah. Okay. Um, Astrid, are you going to vi- uh, stay with us and record episode two tonight too? Yeah. Cool. Yep, I'm here for the. I'm, I'm invested. So, okay, because I mean, we're on page eight, seven, seven, <laughs> okay. seven, seven of thirty-eight. I mean, I might conk out for three, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, this is where we're going to cut off part one of the injured cold series. Now, I said series because this is going to be a long one. You're going to hear a lot of injured cold on Infinite Rabbit Hole for a good couple weeks. There's a reason why we held this off for our season finale is because this is a huge topic and we just scratched the surface, literally just scratching the surface about this insanely awesome story. The details are incredible. The journey is insane. Everything about this, you are not going to want to miss it. So before we log off for the day, Ashers, I just want to say 
Thank you for joining us on this episode. And she has already given me the thumbs up that she will be here for part two <laughs> of part we don't know yet. And before we log off, let everybody know one more time where they can find you. Yeah, sure. Um, so you can find me on Facebook uh, under Ashley Hilt. I'm the, the one with the red hair. Uh, you can also <laughs> find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Ashers. Uh, with a Z. You can also um, find on Wednesdays We Talk Weird literally anywhere that you listen to podcasts. But uh, yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited to time travel with you guys and, um, you know, be here for, for the future episodes of, of this Injured Cold series. Um, it's It's been a lot of fun. Um, if anybody's here listening, um, because I, I brought you here from my show, um, you know, I'll tell you, I don't know how much exactly is going to be edited out of these episodes, but let me tell you, this guy knows the stuff. I'm impressed. So that's mm -hmm. that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm trying to make a, a name for myself in this community. So I I am thrilled to hear that come out of you. <laughs> really, really am. I got a big old grin on my face, and I'm going to step off my soapbox now <laughs> before I float away. Um, all right. So next week, like Asher said, we are going to time travel and we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks for stopping in. Bye. Path of the infinite rabbit hole. Bye. <laughs> bye. Asher, would you like to say bye? Bye. <laughs> bye. Thank you.